We're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Hey, we uh, have been studying uh, about building an everyday habit of worship. I believe that you and I were created to worship God. That everything that's been created on earth is a means for us to either worship or dishonor God. And so the writer in Colossians would say that in whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, you do it to the glory of God. It's a statement of saying that what you do, how you live, moment to moment and area to area of your life matters. Uh, We either, with what God has given us, the time, the gifts, the passions and resources, honor Him or we dishonor God. And what we are trying to do actively at Four Points Church is become decompartmentalized worshipers of God. Meaning, I, I don't want your worship to be tied to an hour of the week or a moment of pastoral planning when we tell you sing now, look up now, trust God now, pay attention now to the Word of God or the works of God. Instead, we want you to become people as image bearers of God, begin to worship God freely, that honor God in your daily living. Now, for the last four weeks, we've looked at three psalms. Within them, we find the word and the call, praise. Praise God. Praise God because of his creation. Praise God because of his faithfulness. Praise God because of his worthiness. Praise God because of his character. And this is a consistent call that we see within the language of psalms, of of the book of psalms, where we see the word praise. Now, what's interesting about that is the word praise can mean one of four things in Hebrew. Zamar is the word we didn't study. So sometimes you see the word praise in your Old Testament, and that means pick up instruments and percussions and play them skillfully to the glory of the Lord. Sometimes when you see the word praise in your Old Testament, the Hebrew word that it was originally written in was the word yadah. It's spelled in our English language Y-A-D-A-H. We pronounce it yadah. And the idea is that we are in that call to lift our hands in thanksgiving. You've seen God move. Now out of your mouth, give praise. You've seen God prove himself faithful. Now out of your mouth, give thanks to God. We even are seeing in some calls that we are to enter his gates with praise. We're to come before him offering thanksgiving. Before we ask him for anything, we're to thank him for everything that he's already done. So praise with instruments, praise with thanksgiving, praise with the great hallel, which is where we get the root word hallelujah. So sometimes when you read the word praise, like Psalm 134, it's actually referring to a Hebrew word, hallel, which means to boast and glory in. Not because uh, you need to you know, talk about how great God is so that he can hear it, but because for a lot of us, we need to be reminded of the greatness of God when it comes to the great challenges of life, because sometimes we look at great challenges and begin to think that we have a good God, not a great God. And the good news is we have a great God who's good. We have a great God who's great in power and ability and he is more powerful than any other king or ruler or Lord on earth. And on top of him being great in power and greater than any other power on earth, he's good, which means we should boast in his goodness because he is not only able, but he is willing. And this is a good good news for those that hear. So we know that when we see the word praise in the Psalms, it can mean Hallel, it can mean Zamar, it can mean Yadah, or it can mean Saba. And Saba is where we get this root call for uh, sincere praise. Uh, The literal definition that you'll find if you look up the word Saba is sing praises or laud him, but it suggests sincere worship from God that comes from your soul. So there's a difference between giving God lip service and there's a difference between the cries that we see in the Psalms where we cry out, how long, O Lord, right? That's from the soul. Think about the centurion soldier that comes to Jesus 
with his child who's sick. And Jesus looks at him and says, anything is possible if you believe. And the centurion soldier, in asking Jesus to heal his daughter, says, I believe, help me with my unbelief. That's Saba-type praise. It's sincere. It's acknowledging. I'm weak. I'm unable. I'm unworthy. But God, I know you're able, and I just am struggling to connect the power and your ability of you giving that kind of attention to someone like me in my circumstance, in my season of life. And so there's a call. There's a need for all of us, and particularly when it comes to the next generation, to worship God sincerely because insincere worship dishonors God and it is something that turns off the next generation from the worship of God. Are you tracking with me? So we've been called to praise and we've studied all these words and the reason we've done that is that for many of you, I believe you want to praise God, you just lack the words or means to do it. I don't know how. I need someone to teach me and that's what the book of Psalms gives us. It gives us a diverse dialect to communicate praise to God. Are you tracking with me? Now, today what I want to do is tie a bow on the whole series. Next week we're going to have a brand new teaching series that's going to run us through the holidays called Hot Mess Christmas. We're going to talk about family dysfunction. We're going to be looking at Jacob and Esau, uh, which is a story of a hot mess where parents pick favorites. And as a result of that, divide brothers against each other and then choose deception over truth. And as a result of it, cause a lot of generational heartache that leads to a whole big mess that God makes a whole big glorious story that brings us a guy named Joseph that God works in a beautiful way for a glorious ending. And so we're going to look at this hot mess family and how God does great things through it. And it may be an encouragement to some of you who have a hot mess family. Are you tracking with me? Uh, so, uh, today we're going to be topical. We're going to look at several texts. We're not going to look at one psalm. And I want to talk about decompartmentalizing your worship and becoming an everyday worshiper of God. First steps in becoming an everyday worshiper of God. It's a two step process. There's a lot in between we'll talk about. Two steps in becoming an everyday worshiper of God. These points are not revolutionary, but they're so practical that if you do it, it might work. Two steps. Number one, if you want to become an everyday worshiper of God, you have to make worship a priority. Worship has to become a priority. What I mean by that is this. A priority is something that when you have no time, you give time to it. So whenever I ask you what are your priorities, think about what you do when you have no time. But you still do it. That's how you know it's become a priority. Some of you are like, dating is a priority. Well, what about when you have no budget and the kids are crazy and you have no sitter? That's when we find out how much of a priority it is, right? Who says you got to go spend $100 on a date and $50 on a babysitter? If dating is a priority and pursuing each other is a weekly interest, then you put the kids to bed, you light a candle, you go and find some leftovers in the fridge, and you eat it over candlelight down in the living room. That can be date night. Why? Because we want to pursue each other, and that is a priority. We're going to steward this relationship and not let it get, not let it get neglected because we have kids that have decided that they're going to be terrorists against it. Are you tracking with me? So some of you are like, well, this is a priority, but let's look at what happens when the resources are limited and when time is fleeting. Does it still happen? That's how you know it's a priority. For some of you, you have a TV show that's a priority and is one of the top priorities. How do we know? Because you rush the kids to bed, you neglect doing any kind of prayer or any kind of reading or anything else with them on that night, you get them to bed, and then you get down there and you watch your... 
That's how you know it's a priority. You move things around to prioritize watching that TV show. Does that make sense? For some of you, your kids then revolt. and like, we aren't going to go to bed. We're going to stand firm and stay awake. What do you do at midnight when you've got to get up at 6 a.m. and do it all again if it's a priority? You go and turn the TV on and you get on TiVo and you play the TV show. Why? Because that show is a priority in your life. Whether or not it should be, that's besides the point. This weekend, there was going to be a football game in Buffalo, New York. And the Buffalo Bills fans are some of the craziest fans in the world. They're nuts. There were going to be six feet of snow that's going to fall in Buffalo. Could you imagine around here, if some of you are from the Northeast and you've not experienced what happens with, when Southerners get a dusting of snow. But around here, we buy all the bread, we cook all the soups, eat all the desserts, and we get fat and sassy. And a little, a little snow, a little snow will shut this city down for a week. Six feet, we would not see you till Thanksgiving next year. Like that, that's what, we'd be done. We'd be done. I have a friend who's a little person, and we were talking about how we love going to football games, and he said, if I'd have gone to that game, I'd disappear. <laughs> Y'all are wrong for laughing at that. My, my, my point is, if they had had the game in six feet of snow, there are some people, about 70,000 of them, that have the Buffalo Bills as such a priority in their life that guess what they would have done? They would have gone. They would have been there. They would have sat on a cold bleacher in the cold snow and six feet of snow. Why? Because it's a priority. Even when it's difficult to get there, they still choose to do it. Now here, I'm going to ask you the question again. What are your current priorities? Now this is tie a ribbon on it Sunday. This is where it gets practical. I'm looking for you to take a note. What do you currently prioritize when resources is limited, when time is fleeting? You still make sure it gets your attention. You still make sure it gets done. Here's why I'm trying to get you to write it down. Not so that you feel bad about what you prioritize, but so that you can actually acknowledge what you prioritize and ask this question. Is it in the right place? Because for some of us, when we begin to think about what we do when we don't have a lot of resource and not a lot of time, and we begin to look at what gets done, we begin to realize, man, this is not in the right place. If you want to become an everyday worshiper of God, it has to become a priority. Now, I told you something that you all generally know and agree with that are in this room. Some may not, but for the majority of us, we're like, yep, need to worship God. Needs to be more of a priority. Yep, need to read my Bible. Needs to be more of a priority. Yep, need to pray. Needs to be more of a priority. Yep, need to fast. Needs to be more of a priority. Yep, need to serve. Needs to be more of a priority. I, we, we know that, right? And that's the problem, is we know what we ought to do. We just don't do it. And Why? Why? Because we don't desire it. See, this is hard truth. We just don't desire Scripture, so we don't read the Bible. We don't desire prayer or God's answers to those things, so we just don't pray. Because at the end of the day, what it, what's actually going on within our priorities is a revelation about the gods we actually serve. You tell me whatever you want, but we can look at your time, we can look at the way you manage your resource, and it shows the priorities you have in your life. So how, what's the step? If you don't prioritize and desire the Word of God, if you don't desire and prioritize the presence of God, what's the step? Well, I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 27, verse 4. He says this, The one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's the desire. I want to be near to God. Better to be one day in his house as a doorkeeper 
than to be in a thousand days anywhere else. That's his belief. He would rather be in the house of God than anywhere else. But look what it goes on to say. Delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. Why does he want to be there? Because it's delightful. He enjoys it. He desires it. One of my favorite TV shows on Netflix right now is Somebody Feed Phil. Has anybody discovered this incredible show? Okay. It's uh, the guy that wrote Everybody Loves Raymond, and he just goes around and he eats food. And you're like, is that the show? That's the entire show. And it is the most delightful, like, mind-clearing end of the day. Like, like, after the kids are in bed and devotions are done, if there's any time left, like, I usually turn on an episode of Somebody Feed Phil, and here's why. When he eats food, he delights in it. Like, he takes a bite of it, and his shoulders, like, as a self-prescribed Jewish man that can't dance, start doing this. Like, he doesn't just, he, he doesn't just nibble or inhale it. Like, he, mm, and he'll do this face. Mm, and, like, and you can tell, like, he's doing what he loves to do. Okay, okay, okay. Here's my point. Maybe the first step in you becoming an everyday worshiper of God is not writing out a list of things that you have to do, but beginning to allow God to stoke the fires of delighting in him so that you begin to choose to do it, not out of obligation, but out of love. Maybe the whole time, this was not about a rule, but it was about you getting to know what your soul deep down has always longed for and desired and can only be satisfied when in the presence of God. And then from that going, hey, I want more of that. I want more of being near to God. I want more of sensing God's presence. And so so here's what we're trying to get to. How do we move from it being a dutiful call to action to something we naturally desire and enjoy doing? Well, I think it comes with a lot of truth. And part of that truth is recognizing that for the majority of us, there's things that we actually like, we just don't do them. We desire them, but we stink at prioritizing them. And I'm the chief center of this. I want to be in the presence of God, personally, but I stink at prioritizing it. Let me explain. Just yesterday, I woke up, and me and my wife decided we were going to sleep in. It's a novel idea after 30. All of you that can sleep till noon, it's a gift. You will lose it someday. It will be taken from you. And then all of a sudden, you're going to wake up, and you're going to think, my spouse is beating me in my sleep because everything's sore. Your neck hurts. Your earlobes are aching. Your hips, like, sore. And you're like, why was that not popping? In your 20s, you do this, and it pops. In your 30s, you do this, and it doesn't do much. It just stays tight, but then it loosens up. In your 40s, I hear you do this, and you go to the hospital. So my, <laughs> my point, my point is we decided we were going to sleep in, and it threw our whole routine off. I'm an early riser. I get up early. I read my Bible. I spend time with God. I pray. That's the way I like to do it. I want to begin my day with the Lord. Then I go to the gym because I want to be disciplined in my mind, and it helps me to get my routine going and have energy for my kids to live through the rest of the day and give energy to what I do here, week in and week out. And so on Saturdays, it's kind of a weird day because it's outside of the routine. So I wake up late. By late, I mean 8.15. 
because that's as late as I can sleep in anymore. And, and, and I'm out of my routine. I'm sluggish the whole day, and I stay in the bed, and we're watching TV from the time that we wake up, and I don't get in the Word, and I'm not praying, and I'm not turning my eyes upward, and I don't have a moment that causes me to stop and thank God, although I prayed that He would help Clemson to not stink whenever they turned the ball over the third time last night. So, I mean, I, the, it's just very tertiary, though. There's no moment of pause and intimacy with God. And then I get to the end of the night, and guess what I feel? Distant from God. You know why? Because I didn't make the presence of God a priority in my day. And that's a challenge to do with a God so big as our God, to feel distant from Him at the end of the day. So how do you get to making it a priority? How do you know if it's a priority in your life? Well, I think there's some biblical examples we can look to. There's a guy named David. He was very flawed, very imperfect. You likely would not vote for him. He was a runt hidden out in the middle of nowhere, and God chose him to be a king over a nation that was in their rebellion, rebelling from him, God. And David comes in and was known as a man after God's own heart, and within the stewardship of what he had leadership over, he chose to prioritize worship. He made a lot of his authority about making worship better and enabling others to engage in worship with God. Well, how do you know that? Well, let me give you a quick synopsis of some things he did. He was the first one as king that made music a regular fixture within Israel's worship. He appointed singers in the temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 16 to 24. Verse, chapter 16, verses 4 to 7. You see this over and over again where David's taking singers and appointing them to go and be in the temple to help the nation of Israel respond and give praise to God. On top of that, he formed bands and choirs dedicated to writing and leading the people of God in worship. We see that in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 25 to 26. On top of that, he pioneered antiphonal singing. Any of you know what that is? How many of you have seen the famous clip of the dude from Queen where he says, Deo! You guys took it a little further. Y'all put some more on it. But it's calling back and forth. It's this call and response kind of singing. Some of you were in early 90s praise music. Y'all remember that? And it was like the girls sing and the girls would clap like this. I don't know why we did this in the 90s. (laughs) Blessed be the name of the Lord. Woo! Blessed be the name. Okay, okay. See, see? Some of y'all had a revival just then. So he, he brought in antiphonal singing. Nehemiah chapter 12. I, I found that this week. I was like, he didn't pioneer that. It says in Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 24, that David had brought in this antiphonal singing. He was the first to do it in Israel's history. So here's what he did. Look, he leveraged his authority to create a culture of worship. And that's what I'm after for the places where you have authority. What would it look like for you to prioritize to leverage the influence that God has given you to create a culture of worship with those that are around you to benefit. David had a kingdom for some of you have a family. Uh, David had a kingdom for some of you have a business. David had a kingdom for some of you, you have like a few friends that you're the one that's always calling the shots on what you're going to do. How do you leverage the influence God has given you so that it becomes a place where God is honored and worshiped and not dishonored? Now, how do you know if you're prioritizing worship. Let's not assume that you're not. How do you know if you're prioritizing worship? Let me give you a couple quick points to this. You are prioritizing worship in your life if you're growing in an increased awareness of God's presence. When you worship God, you start seeing God everywhere. When you lack prioritizing and worshiping God, you feel like God isn't anywhere. It's a really unique 
thing that happens in our minds. When we begin to worship, it's like, God is near. God is at work. He's all over that place. He's all over that situation. He's been in that circumstance. But when you don't praise God, God's not near. He's not anywhere. I can't see him. That's God forsaken. And what that's actually saying is you're not prioritizing worship. How many of you bought a car in a specific color and thought, I've got or a car in this color that no one else has. And everyone else is going to be driving by, and, and they're going to see the unique color of my car and know that, man, that's unique. And I paid extra for that paint job. That was an extra six fifty for the mat. And the next thing you know, as soon as you buy that car in that paint job, you go down the highway, and what do you see? Everybody done bought that same car with that same paint job. What changed? Your attention. Your attention changed. Those cars have always been out there. You just thought they were a unique snowflake because they were white noise. See, when you praise, what it does is it tunes your ear to the work of God. It lifts your eyes upward to where you begin seeing Him more clear. And as a result of it, when you look around the world, you begin to see Him in it in a way that you had not before. Acts chapter 17, verse 27 echoes this point. It says, His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and to find Him, though He is not far from any of us. Some of you believe God's far from Woodruff. God's far from my job. God's far from my marriage. God's far from my family. Let me just go and echo the end of this text. God is not far from any of us. He has made himself available to whosoever would call on the name of Jesus. And he has offered salvation and help to anyone who cries out in Jesus' name in their hour of need. God isn't distant. He's not playing hide and seek from you. He is near to you. But his prescription in life's most difficult seasons is that you and I would praise. And as a result of praise, become aware of the fact that God has not, nor will he ever be absent from the goings on of the world that is around us. Acts chapter 17 verse 24 teaches it this way, for God is not trapped within the houses or temples built by men, but he lives everywhere. So he's not uniquely here on Sundays and absent from your Monday, but the same God that's at work here with the preacher that's barefoot shouting about him at you, it's the same God that's active out there. And the preacher ain't what's good. God is what's good and his goodness is out there just like it is in here. Am I making sense? Psalm 139, verses 7 to 12. I love what the psalmist says. I can never escape from your spirit. Some of you right now, you're like, God's spirit isn't near. There's a problem. Either you're right and the Bible's wrong, or the Bible, which has been right for a long time now, is still right and your feelings are wrong. So whatever you're feeling still got a reason to praise right i can never escape from your spirit i can never get away from your presence if i go up to heaven guess what you're there if i go if, if i go down to the grave guess what you're there if i ride the wings of the morning i don't even know what that looks like or how you would do it but if you could it, for some reason okay see there's things in my head that i shouldn't say all right and some of you, because when I hear that, the only thing I hear is afternoon delight. Like, I, I just, that whole scene. Afternoon delight, woo! And it's like a cup of, anyway, I shouldn't have said it. Okay, if I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest ocean, even there your hand will guide me. 
and your strength will support me. Verse 11, if I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. Okay, if worship is a priority, your sense of God's presence is growing, not diminishing. C.S. Lewis wrote in his letter, Letters to Malcolm, he said, we may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. So right now, you don't have a God absence problem. Our schools are not absent from the work of God. They are crowded with the presence of God. The question is, where are the people of God at? And are they seeing him? Are they bringing his presence? Are they speaking his life and his truth into the places where deception and lies are running rampant? My wife invited me this Friday. I had a day off, and she said, hey, you want to come and gray papers with me in my classroom? Yes, I do. Because I do whatever you tell me, honey. And so I went to Hillcrest High School and sat down to grade projects. And I get it that I'm a little weird. I, 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 I do. Like I take my shoes off because I believe this is holy ground and God's going to speak into your life. And he's going to change for some of you family trees and directions of your life. And so I walk through a whole routine before I come up here reminding myself that the word of God is the power of God at work through the spirit of God in the hearts of men. And it changes and transforms and it cuts to the very morrow and it works in a powerful way. So I come expecting that God's actually going to move. I talk to God like he's here all the time. And so there's random times where like y'all are here and I'm just like, yeah, that's great. But I'm over here like having another conversation talking to God. Like I am a like weirdo. There have been times were like, I felt the Lord say, you need to stop, bow, and pray, and I'm in the middle of a public place, and I don't care. I'm like, okay, here we go, and people are like, what's he doing? Just just go by. I'm trying to talk. It's for you. It's for your good. Just just trust me. I'm, I, I, I'm taking you right now to the throne. You keep walking, but you're going. I, 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 I do those kinds of things, and so I'm standing in Hillcrest, and I just feel this overwhelming sense. My wife's telling me some stories about some of the students. I feel this overwhelming sense of darkness. I get nauseous. I'm sitting there grading papers with us, so I grab her hand, and, and what do we do? I'll be honest. I'm like, Lord, the kingdom of the earth is at work in the school. We can see it. We can sense it. But Lord, for this classroom, this is a starting point. Because God, you fill my wife with your Holy Spirit. And I'm asking from the back of this wall to the front of her door that your kingdom will come and your will will be done. That this will be a kingdom of light and that people would know your peace and your love and your presence and your nearness right here and right now. And we began to pray that God would move. It was amazing. I sat in her class and every one of them kids acted right. They haven't been acting right all year. They acted right. Now, some people say it's because of my muscles, but let's be honest. They aren't, they aren't that impressive. We, we, we prayed and began to expect that God was going to move in the school. Where is it right now that you've given up on prioritizing the worship of God because you don't believe the presence of God is active? Oh, I'm going to sit in that for a second. And for some of y'all right now, you've stopped praising God in your marriage because you don't believe his presence. Or For some of y'all, you, you've stopped praising God as the Lord over your past because you still feel trapped in it. You see, when we worship, what ends up happening is the sense of God's presence becomes palpable in our life. On top of that, when you prioritize worship, you sense God's presence, number one, but number two you get the courage that, accompany, that accompanies prioritized worship in your life. When you worship God, there's a courage that follows. When you lack courage, God gave you a weapon. You know what the weapon is? Worship. Before David picked up a sling, guess what he had in his hand? A harp. He worshiped before he slayed the giant. He praised before 
he stood in front of the giant. And for some of you, you've you got to understand, David's courage to take on Goliath comes in a field when no one's looking, when he's crying out and singing to God. Before they ever took over Jericho, which was the mightiest city of the time, what did they do? They worshipped. Some of you believe they just blew trumpets. No, no, no. They worshipped. They halleled. They boasted in the God who drops the most biggest of barriers this world can bring and delivers his people in the most powerful of ways that anyone can. They boasted in him. So when you worship, it gives you courage to believe that God is able, that God is active, so that when you stand in front of giants, you're not questioning the presence of God, but you're walking knowing the presence of God is with you. So do you lack courage? God's prescription would be praise. Praise. Lift your eyes, bury his truth in your soul, that he is still victorious, that he is still able, that he is capable. If you are prioritizing worship, you will see a growing sense of God in your life and you will be a person that's growing in courage in the face of your battle. So if you want to become an everyday worshiper, you've got to prioritize it, number one. Number two, number two, you've got to make it a habit. Priorities and habits are different things. Priorities are things you schedule. Habits are things you do whether they're scheduled or not. The pathway to getting different habits is by making different priorities. You begin to prioritize and schedule and plan until it becomes secondhand nature and habitual in your life. Now, let me be very clear. Worship is meant to be natural. It's meant to flow out of your experience in life. You see a sunset, it's not to remind you that, oh, isn't that cool, let me post something on Instagram, but that God is good and he is faithful. And from the rising to the setting of the sun, you've been created to praise his name. You see the trigger? When you know the word, the sunset reminds you, praise his name. The sunrise reminds you that his mercies are new every morning. What's the sunrise for? Praise his name. It's not just so you go, wow, great colors, great, great view, good weather. No, it's to remind you of the faithfulness of God so that you look upward and you worship God. You see, God has filled his creation with triggers of praise. But you're not naturally wired to pay attention to those triggers. So, how do you get there? Well, it starts with the priority, but the goal is to get it to the point of being a habit. It has to become a habit. One of my favorite books I've read in the last three years is a book called Atomic Habits by a guy named James Clear. He looked into the science of how and why most of us make New Year's resolutions that don't make it to MLK weekend. So how many of you have ever made a New Year's resolution? Okay. How many of you made one and you don't want to admit you made one because you didn't write it down and you didn't tell anyone, but you nonetheless thought it? Go ahead, throw it up. That's, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. Uh, one of my favorite things they do at our gym is they get extra fitness equipment, and for the first three weeks of the new year, they will all the extra fitness equipment out. But guess what happens to the extra fitness equipment by the 1st of February? It's gone. Because everybody comes in with goals. And part of it is, in this book he talks about it, is you set bad goals. What's your goal? I want to be skinny. Okay, well, that's, that's, that's hard to measure. That's a moving target. Like, what if it's, I want to be healthy so that I can have a good life and energy to love my kids? You know, that, that's my goal. I want to be healthy. So you start with a big goal. 
And then immediately, the reason most of us fail is we then change everything. So how are we going to attack this goal of being healthy? I'm only going to drink water and Jesus. That's it. I, I'm not drinking Dr. Pepper. I'm not, I'm not drinking five bucks. I'm not drinking, you know, whatever. I'm only, I'm only drinking water. And then three days into it, like you drive by and it's like they, they pump the smell of Starbucks out. And you're, dry, and you're driving by and you're like, I'm conservative. I don't even want to go there. But nonetheless, you're like going. And, and then you, 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 you buy a $5 cup of coffee and break the, the plan. Here, here, here's what I'm trying to get at. You make goals that are big, but in order to form habits, you've got to start small. Make goals that are big, but if you want to get there, you've got to make habits that start small. I'm, I'm telling you something that's big. If you want to change, if you want to change, you've got to make goals that are big, but you've got to start with habits that are small. Here's what I want to get at. What we're doing in habit forming is we're changing the routine. Great leadership guru told me, if nothing changes, nothing changes. If you don't like the current results you are getting, but you've yet to change the current things you are doing, then you've yet to figure out the cost of change. To get different results, you've got to do things differently. If you eat Burger King eight days a week, and you're wondering why your waistline continues to expand this way, and you want it to go this way, if nothing changes, nothing changes changes. This makes sense. So for some of you, let's say your New Year's resolution is you want to get healthy in the new year. That's awesome. Okay, here's how we're going to attack that. That's a big goal, and it is a lifelong stewardship, not a short-term destination. So the way that we're going to get there is we're going to start with the smallest denominator of a habit change. So here's what we're going to do. In order to lose weight, you've got to do what? Exercise, okay? That, that, let's go with that one. You've got to exercise, okay? Now, here's the problem. Most of you hate exercise, which is why you have gym memberships that in guilt you keep, but you never use. Right? So, here's what we're going to do. The goal is to be healthy. So, we're going to get the gym membership. You're going to start with the $10 one. You don't need to go to CrossFit. Because you're not ready for, you know, stupidity. <laughs> I go to one so I can call it what it is. Uh, you go to Planet Fitness. Get a $10 membership. And here's what you're going to do. For five days a week, for two weeks, you're going to go to the gym for five minutes. You're not allowed to stay more than five minutes. I don't care what you do. You're just going to go there for five minutes. Why? Because you can't get in shape if you don't exercise, and if you don't show up to the gym, you can't get exercise. So, we're going to start not by practicing working out, we're going to practice showing up. Oh, I wish this would happen in the church. For some of you, what would be great is you want to you grow in your relationship with God, yet you're going to try and do it on eight weeks of attendance within a local church. So the equation is not, can I read the Bible in 90 days? Can I go on a 40-day fast? Can I go on a mission trip to the 1040 window where I can buy gifts for all the people that paid money for me to go and bring it back and you know, see the orphans in the orphanages? No, no, no. The, the start for you might be show up to church four weeks in a row. It'd be crazy. That's a wild idea. I know, it's crazy. It's, 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 it's weird. It wouldn't work probably. But you know, like, we're just hypothesizing. 
See, you, you, you get big goals, but you start small. Here's why. Clear in this article that he was reading and studying, found that on average, it takes more than two months before a new behavior becomes automatic. That means it's around 66 days for most of us to form new habits. And how long it takes a new habit to form can, can vary widely depending on the behavior, of the, per, the behavior, the person, and the circumstances. In Lally's study, the study he's referencing, it took anywhere from 18 to 254 days for people to form a new habit. It's not easy. That's why most people don't do it. Right? If it were easy... If you could do it with a remote control, if you could do it with DoorDash, everybody would do it. But most of the things that you want to change in your life require new priorities. You can't do it the way you've always done it. That set up big goals that then lead to small habits done consistently over significant amounts of time that will lead to great change in your life. Now, I've been very relative and, and, and just throwing this out there, but let me get very applicable into the series. My goal for you is that you have become someone who habitually and naturally worships God. The way that we're going to get there is we're going to make it a greater priority in our life. Even when we don't have time, we're going to make time for worship. Even when we don't have resource, we're still going to do our best to make sure that we get in front of God and spend time with the people of God so that we can grow as a person following Christ to become more like Him. So we're going to have to make it a priority. And in order to get it to the point of being a habit, we're going to have to make some small goals. So here's what I'm after, and I know I'm crazy because I'm the, pe the preacher that expects people to actually remember the stuff we talk about and do something with it. But I want you right now on the spot with the next three or four minutes to make a 60-day action plan. In some area of your life, I want you to grow as a worshiper over the next 60 days. I'm not going to pick the area for you, although I'll flood you with some suggestions for how you can do this. My goal and my aim is that over the next 60 days, you'll set a timer. That's called prioritizing on those things that you spend around six and a half hours a day on anyway, reading bad news. And we're going to begin to use it to remind you about the good news and to turn your eyes upwards to praise God. So I want you to take your phone. And here's the challenge. I want you to take the next few seconds and set a few alarms strategically. You may have to think about this. We're going to make them reoccurring. For some of you, it may be noon. For some of you, it may be 5.30 a.m. For some of you, it may be that you want two or three or four alarms. All the overzealous people in the house, where are you at? You already got like five. Every hour on the hour. Reoccurring. Alarms. What is it there for? It's going to go off to remind you to praise. I'm going to praise. Every time I hear, I'm going to pray. The alarm goes off at noon. It's a priority. I'm going to praise. My kids are going to learn. They're in the car with me at 2.30, and that's when the alarm goes off. We're going to stop, and we're going to praise. We're not going to listen to Lecrae. That's what my son loves to do all the time, which is great. Love Lecrae. We're going to praise. We're going to worship. When that alarm triggers... 
I'm inviting you to pick one or two of these things to be a trigger for. For some of you, when you hear it, it's going to trigger, and I want you to stop and thank God. And for the next 60 days, when you hear that alarm go off, you are just on the spot. Whatever comes to mind, in whatever way you've seen God provide, protect, care, you're you're just going to start thanking God. You may be in your office at work. You may be in a line at Wendy's getting a peppermint frosty because I heard they're trying to take Chick-fil-A on. I'm going to go and figure it out. If it's worth your time, I'll let you know next week. But when it goes off, you thank God. And it may be thanking God for ice cream. It may be thanking God for expendable income to eat out. It may be thanking God for kids that are giving you a problem. It may be thanking God for a job that you complained about. It may be thanking God for a spouse that you don't want to talk to. It may be thanking God for a friend that you've ignored. It may be thanking God for his provision in your life. It may be thanking God for the fact that his grace hasn't run out on you, even though you feel like you've tested it today. It may be thanking God for his mercy. Oh, I I could go on, you know? Like some of you are like, I don't know how I would do that. Oh, trust me, you just start. And all of a sudden it starts coming out. You'd be surprised how much you have to be thankful for. When the alarm goes off, for some of you, it may be a reminder to stop and pray. Maybe for you, you're like, man, in the discipline of prayer, I am weak. I don't consult God enough. I don't talk to God enough. I need to pray more. So I'm going to set an alarm, and when it goes off, whatever I'm doing, I'm going to pray about whatever is going on in my life or on my mind. I'm just going to lay it before God. And every time it rings, just like Pavlov's dog in that stupid experiment I took in psychology, I'm going to pray until it becomes a habit, and I start praying without an alarm, and I start praying without a reminder because I'm going to prioritize it until it becomes a habit. For some of you, and the alarm goes off, you're not going to stop and pray. You're going to stop and remember. This is perhaps the most un, perhaps the most unpracticed spiritual discipline. Most of us have no courage in the present time because we've lost sight of what God has done in past time. And so for some of you, if you're going through a difficult season, every time you hear that alarm, it needs to be a reminder, I'm going to stop And I'm going to remember that faithful is he who began a good work in me. That God parted waters before. So if I'm standing with the body of water that's keeping me from what God has called me to, he will part it again. It's going to be a reminder to remember so that faith can grow in my life. For some of you, it's going to be a reminder to reflect. To reflect on the names of God so that you remember his power. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is Alpha. He is Omega. These are his names. Names. It's sort of like, well, how am I going to come up with those names? If you scan the sermon notes, you already know. I put all of them in there. I'm weaponizing you to do something crazy in the American church. Apply the sermon series. It's crazy. It's crazy. So every time the alarm goes off, I'm just going to read through and reflect on the names of God because I need to remember that my God is powerful. Some of you, it's going to be a reminder to stop and reflect on the attributes of God, His character, so that you remember that He's good. Some of you, it's going to be a reminder for you to stop and sing praise to God. For some of you, it's going to be a reminder to stop and read the Word of God. For some of you, when you hear it, it's a reminder to bow your knees and get low before God. I know it's crazy, but imagine your life 60 days from now with alarms going off throughout the day, breaking up the day to remind you to do something that should be natural until the point where you don't even need the alarm because you just know, I need to praise God. I need to pray. I need to remember. I need to reflect on the character of God. 
because it's going to help me be a better parent. It's going to help me be a better coworker. It's going to help me be a better leader. It's going to help me be a better spouse. It's going to help me be a better neighbor. So I'm going to take a little bit of time daily to look up. And when I look up, I want to begin to sense God's presence, which is going to give me divine patience for people that I've been short with. It's going to give me the ability to be gracious to people that I'm dismissive of. It's going to give me the ability to forgive people that I feel like I can't forgive. Why? Because when I look at the God who forgave me, it reminds me of the depth in which he has gone to and the ability that he has given me by his spirit to extend the same forgiveness to those that are around me. Oh, I could preach on this all day, y'all. Some of you, here's the deal, you're going to fight me and nothing's going to change in your life. And in the words of Paul, I have preached the word to you and I've done everything I know to do to help you get there. And if you don't take it up and do something with it, don't complain about God being distant. Don't complain about God being far. He has crowded the earth with his presence. It's not my fault you chose to put a blindfold on and plug your ears and walk around it. At the bottom of my notes, I also put in there some helpful habits to start leading a culture of praise within your family. I wrote that for dads and moms who don't know where to start. And it's not revolutionary, but it's just the stuff that we constantly are cycling through in the Chambers family to build a culture of praise in our family. So, the quick version of it, because some of you are going to be stubborn and not scan, and I, and I just want you to know, I'm, t- I'm telling you so that you know this stuff. We, here's, here's, here's the, the bottom line thing that we do every day. We pray over our kids every day. Some of you are like, I'll just be honest, there's no reason that you're not doing that. It's so easy. I don't care what time you get in from work. When they're asleep, go put your hands on your kids and pray over them. Pray the promises of God over their life. Pray for their future. Pray for their future spouses. Pray for their future families. Pray that, that, that God would steward their affection for Jesus and stir it up. For some of you, that's their, my alarm to stop. But God will stir their affections for Jesus in a way that will cause them to love him greatly. Pray for them in that regard. Pray for their future. Pray what they'll do. You can do that every single day. It's foundational. There are days where I don't get home in time for us to have a family quiet time. I don't get home in time for us to hold hands and pray together. But I'm always home in time to pray over them before I go to bed. Some of you got a split family. Kids are going back and forth between houses. You know where you can pray for your kids? Anywhere. So when they're not in your house, pray for them. When you miss them, pray for them. When you're lonely because the routine's broken and you feel the guilt of everything that's happened, pray for them. God's in that story. He's not done. Don't sit in guilt. Sit in prayer. We're going to pray over our kids. Number two, when you can, you pray with your kids consistently. We get in the car ride and sometimes it's not a fun morning. We get in the car and I'm like... It ain't been a good start, but Lord and my kids know. We're going before the Lord. We're going to pray. We pray the whole car ride in. It keeps me from getting mad at people that are cutting me off and going the wrong way into the elementary exit and acting selfish. Why? Because it's hard to complain about people when you're praying to God. So instead, I'm like, God, whatever's going on in minivan three up there, they're driving like hell has come from the bottom of their car into it. Would you bring your Holy Spirit, Lord? And my kids, amen. Yes, Daddy. Pray with them consistently. Grab their hands at night. Grab their hands around the dinner table. Grab their hands anytime during the day. Bring them into this experiment with you. But pray with your kids. Pray over them. Pray with them. Talk where appropriate about your current faith journey with them. 
We got out of routine as a family. I know I'm supposed to wrap it up, but I'm giving you good stuff, and so I think it's worth the extra five. We, we got out of routine as a family of getting in the Word. We've not been doing it. I know. <gasps> You're a preacher. You aren't doing it either, so don't, don't, don't come at me with that. Don't do that. If you are, I'm glad. But like most of you like, that were, <gasps> like, settle down, Karen. My mom's name's Karen. We can make fun of it. That's not cool, okay? Jeez, Louise. So, so what did I do? What did I do? Did I sit around in guilt and go, we don't have a habit of reading the Word in this family. I guess they're just going to grow up on Disney+. Plus. No, I, I went in front of my kids this past week and I said, guys, our schedule's been hectic. We've been out of control. Mom and Dad have got to get our schedule back under order. But I need you to know that it's Dad's job to lead us in reading the Word, and I've failed. I've not done a good job in this season, and I need you to forgive me, and together we're going to work hard on making this a bigger priority in our house. And then we opened up God's Word, and we read three verses, and then Nora bit Lucas's ankle, and then hell broke out, and I don't think any of the Scripture sunk in. But nonetheless, we started the process of we're going to do this. I'm not, I'm not going to glamorize it like we've arrived. No, it's, it, it's hard. It's not easy. My kids don't like walk around reciting the 23rd Psalm. Like they don't wake up and they're like, oh, the Lord is good and His mercy is new every morning, Father. What should we have for breakfast? Would you like eggs in bed? No, no, my kids are selfish, just like I am. And they need to be taught that it's not about them and that this world is for the glory of the Lord. So I talk with them where I fail in my faith journey where it's appropriate. I confess sin and shortcomings to them. I admit my weaknesses and needs for grace where appropriate to them. If uh, you have failed, uh, if, I, if I fail to set the right example, I explain what the right way looks like, ask for forgiveness, and then I move forward with them trying to do better. It's a shocker. I know, I know. Some of you are like, I thought leading my family meant that I had to be a preacher. No, you just got to do some practical things consistently. That's what this looks like. So we talk about our faith journey. We pray with our kids. We pray over our kids. We fight to study the Word of God together, number four. And number five, we get into a consistent community of people who are pursuing God together. Because I don't want my community group to be a bunch of Clemson fans that get together and them think that's what godly community is. Because there's a big difference between Christian community and every other kind of community out there. Within this community, there's the presence of God, the Spirit of God, the work of God, the transformation of becoming more and more like Jesus. And so if there's any kind of community my kids are going to be engaged in, it won't be a sports community. It won't be a recreational hobby community. It will be the community of God who get together around the Word of God as imperfect people to become more like Jesus by the Spirit of God at work in it. So we prioritize it. Now for you, step five is very different from step one. So for some of you, you need one last little reminder that you're going to set as a dad, as a mom, in your phone. And it's not for you to pray for yourself or your needs or to give thanksgiving or to bow or to sing it's for you to be reminded to go upstairs over the 60 day period or go downstairs or go somewhere and put your hands on your kids and pray the word of God over them for 60 days it'll change your family it'll change your family don't believe me try it try it if you have the arrogance to say he's wrong and you've yet to try it that's just foolishness that's laziness so wake up, and may you discover that God is everywhere. In Jesus' name. Our prayer team's going to be here. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we'd love to talk with you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is your chance to respond, though. We like to praise. This is where you come out of you, and He comes into you. So for this moment, let's let Him be the aim and the object. Let's stand. Let's respond.